Peter for sharing with us about our missionaries here at Grace. And we want to make a challenge, encourage you to pray for those missionaries and participate um, in whatever way you possibly can to be a blessing to them. I'm going to introduce one of our missionaries this morning as well. He's found in Romans chapter number one, so if you want to turn there with me, you can. It's a privilege um, to have a month dedicated, uh, set apart, if you will, to this theme of missions. Um, this truly missions, I mean, it really isn't something that uh, one month is sufficient to cover. Um, this is the heart of God. What we're describing, what we're going to talk about for this month is God's heart, and that is that his son's name be proclaimed throughout all of the world, and that um, his fame be spread through all of the world, and that through that, as was mentioned this morning in our worship, uh, Revelation 5-9 and Revelation 7-9, through that, there will be people from every tribe, uh, tongue, nation, every ethnicity will one day stand before his throne and they will worship him. And, uh, and that's the heart of God. And in many ways, that is the reward that the Father gives to the Son for the sacrifice that he made for our sins. And um, we get to, as Christians, we get to partake in that, not only as um, beneficiaries, meaning that we get to stand before his throne one day and worship him, but we get to partake in that as, as ministers, as ambassadors, if you will, of that message. Uh, the, 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 the grace that God hath, has bestowed upon us is a grace that's not meant for us to, um, to hold selfishly, but it's meant for us to proclaim. It's meant for us to share with other people. We are, in many ways, we are conduits of the grace of God and uh, in the lives of other people. So it's a privilege to have a, a month set aside for this. And we wanna just unfold and unpack each week a little bit more about, about missions. And that's why we have four different speakers throughout the month. We want to, um, different perspectives, different texts, different passages of scripture to be unfolded for you so that um, you can gain a, a passion and an appreciation for what God has um, left you here to do. So with that, in Romans 1, I'm going to get to, to Romans 1. We're going to unpack the first 16 verses here in a moment. If you wanted a, a title to this message, it would be the profile of a missionary. The profile of a missionary. In other words, what does a missionary look like? What are some characteristics that we should look for in missionaries? And, and, and beyond that, what are some characteristics that we need to possess um, if we're going to be effective missionaries for the Lord? And what are some things that we need to, to, to fight for in our own lives so that we are witnessing of Christ and witnessing to others? I was reminded of 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, where the Bible says, um, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And just note, just make a mental uh, note or a picture of that Phrase God making an appeal through us. God appealing to the lost. God pleading with the lost uh, through you and through me and the missions work that we do. He says, we implore you 
on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this really captures what the missions, what missions work is. It is God pleading through us to the lost world to be reconciled to God. And we know that the reconciliation that God is pleading through us to the lost world is built around and based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. God is pleading through us, through the witness that we proclaim each day through our lives and through our words, God is pleading through us that the world be reconciled to God. I often wonder and question and challenge my own self as I evaluate whether or not that is something that's being accomplished in my own life, and whether or not if somebody were to profile me, if you will, and they were to write out things that would be my profile, you know, you've got Facebook profiles, and, and, and I'm not going to name the other ones because I don't even know all of them. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm somewhat illiterate in those things. But you've got a lot of profiles going on on the internet, right? Everybody in here probably has a profile, whether they like it or not. There's probably a profile of you somewhere to be found on the internet. I wonder sometimes, I, I ask myself, evaluate myself, I wonder if, if, if somebody was to profile me, would, would they say that this is a person through whom God is making a, an appeal to the lost that they be reconciled to him? Would that be a part of my profile? And, and, and that, that's, that's a, a question that we, we each one of us have to ask because that's what we face, that's the, the calling of our mission's work that God has called us to plead with people, to implore, that, that, that word literally means to plead with people, to be reconciled to God. I'm gonna tell you a little story and we'll, we'll move on. Um, this last week we dropped our daughters off at college and we were down in, in the LA area and we were staying in a hotel and there was a, a lady at the front counter, just, just a sweet a young lady, probably in her 20s, um, and right when I, we, we had actually been there two weekends in a row, and we had stayed there, and we had seen this same person two weekends in a row, and right when I walked in the second time, there was just this pricking in my spirit, this person is an eternal person, that she's going to spend eternity somewhere, someday. And, 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 and it was like immediately in my heart, I knew that I can't just leave this person without the gospel in some way. So I began, we stayed for two days in the hotel that we were at, and I began to pray, Lord, open up a door, give me an opportunity, don't let me walk away from this person without giving them the gospel in some way. And it was Sunday afternoon, and we were going to leave on Monday morning, and I was thinking to myself, okay, is she working right now? She might not be working tomorrow. It was a really busy time. I went out in my car, and I got a gospel track, which is um, one of the gospel tracks that are back there on our on our, we've got a whole rack of them back there. And they have the gospel in them, very, very clear and plain. And I just walked up to her and I said, you know, you've been such a blessing to me. He's like, I said, this message that's in this little piece of paper changed my life and, and it will change your life too. And I said, would you please read that? And she just graciously said, absolutely. She put it, a, she put it there on her desk. And my prayer is, is that we will probably go back there and stay in that same hotel, but that God's gonna take that a little bit further. But the, the thing that God, the God, that God moved into my heart in that moment was, 
I can't leave this person without the gospel. And it wasn't the, the idea of trying to force the gospel down this person's throat. It wasn't the idea of trying to be mean or harsh to this person. It was just, I, I want to get the gospel in their hands. In, in, in a loving way, in a compassionate way, I want to get the gospel to them. This is what missions calls us to. What, what, what is missions? If, you, if you're taking notes, just to give you a few thoughts here on the, the definition of missions. And we don't find missions the um, term missions used in the Bible. The closest term that we have to it is the term apostle, which means somebody that is sent out, an, an ambassador, a, a messenger, someone who is commissioned or a, a representative, somebody who is sent out to represent or to spread a message. Um, a, a, herald, a heralder would be another way of, 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 of describing a missionary. Um, you, you can remember the days in the past where the person would go into the town with a newspaper and he would cry out and he would say maybe there would be a headline on the front and he would cry out that, that headline and he would seek to get this information out to the people by, by heralding the headline of that newspaper. That's what a missionary does. They're, they're a, a, a heralder. They go around and they proclaim the headline of the message that we're presenting to people. That's what, that's what they're called to do. They have been sent out. Um, they have been set apart for that purpose. Uh, Acts 13, verse 2 and 3 talks about this when it talks about the apostle Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas being set apart for the work of the Lord. They've been set apart to do this work, to go out and to herald the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to know that there are missions that are both domestic missions, which are home missions, and, and foreign missions, which are those missions that are across the sea. But that all believers are called to be missionaries. When the Lord said in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he said, all power, verse 18, all power has been given to me in heaven and in earth. So whatever statements are going to follow that verse, whatever statement's going to follow that phrase is going to be very significant because what he's going to say is, is that this power that has been granted to me in heaven and in earth is going to be specifically meant for what is to follow. And then he says, therefore, right, because all power has been given to me in heaven and in earth, therefore, go and teach, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, for lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what we're called to do. Every believer has been commissioned, has been sent out, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it this way, ha, has been left. When we think of missions as being sent out, we think of these people that are going across the sea. I, I believe this, that God has made us citizens of heaven. When he saved us, he made us a citizen of heaven. And he left us in this world as missionaries. And in other words, this is not my citizenship. I am not a citizen of this place. I'm a citizen of heaven. And God has sent me out. He has commissioned me. Instead of taking me to heaven and saying, yeah, I'm going to send you back into this world. He, he left me in this world for the purpose of making disciples for him. And that is, that is why I'm here. And that is why you are here. 
And there are, there are thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that are lost without Jesus Christ, who need to hear the message of Christ, who need to hear the pure, unadulterated, unhindered gospel that comes from God's word. And not the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Not the gospel that's built around the works of men, the efforts of men, the, the um, accomplishments of men, but they need to hear the, the gospel that says Jesus Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again the third day and has the ability to give them new life. They need to hear this gospel. They need to hear the true gospel. And this is what we are called to do. We are, some are called to do it uh, 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 in foreign lands, globally. Others are just called to do it right where God has planted you. But we are all called to minister as a missionary. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And it's powerful words. But the idea of it is, I, I was sitting there thinking in my chair as we were singing those wonderful songs about our Lord being the king, about our Lord being amazing. I mean, you can't get more worshipful songs than what we had this morning, right? And I began to think to myself, do we really believe that? Do we just come on Sunday morning and sing about this amazing God? Or does he, does he fill and saturate everything that we do throughout the week? Do we look at people that are walking near and next to us and have such an, a, an extraordinary view of our God that we just want them to experience the same thing? Are we burning with passion for other people to have the things that we have? Because this is the heart of missions. This is the heart of God. This is the reason why God, when he saved you, left you here, is that you might share with others the passion that he has given you for himself. That you might open your mouth and say to somebody the message of the cross. That you might share with somebody the transformation that Jesus did in your life. The work that he performed on you. This is what missions is all about. This is what we're called here to do. This is what we're left here to do. In Hollister, California, there is an extraordinary need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember when I came, when I was doing some, some evaluation of this community to find out what, whether the Lord wanted us here or didn't want us here and just praying about it in many ways as a mission field. Lord, is there a mission field there? Is there something there that needs what you've given me and gifted me with. And one of the things that we were studying was that 1% or less than 1% of this area considers themselves to be evangelical Christians. It's a very, very low number, obviously a very, very low number. There's a need for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be, to be taught and communicated in our community and in the world around us. So I want to look at the Apostle Paul just for the remainder of our time this morning out of Romans chapter number one. One of the things that's interesting about the Apostle Paul and his letters is, is that he, he starts off each one of his letters with, a, with a, a level of kind of an explanation about himself, a description of himself, a profile of himself, and he does it in such a way that it directly relates to the theme of the book. Um, there's something about his describing of himself in the first part of the book that relates to the, to the remainder of 
of the book, the message that he's going to teach. And there's no more evangelical message, there's no more evangelical book in the Bible than the book of Romans. It is, for all intents and purposes, the gospel tract of the Bible. It is full of, of the gospel message. And it's written that we might understand, if you, if you will, the gospel. It really is written, if you, as you study the first 16 uh, um, verses, you'll find that it's written to believers and written to believers that they might understand the gospel. Um, the Apostle Paul hasn't made it here yet. This is um, years from his Roman um, missions ministry. He's writing because the church has begun, and he's writing to, to in, equip them and encourage them with this gospel message. And he describes in the first three chapters the depravity of man, man's sinful heart, he describes in the next three chapters justification by faith alone, that salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. He describes in the next chapters the benefits of that. Um, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And he describes at the very end the application or what does the Lord um, accomplish as, after he saves people? What are fruits of the salvation that the Lord has accomplished in our lives? But we start with these roots, these things that the Apostle Paul describes about himself in the first 16 verses that will help us to know what are some characteristics that need to be true about us if we're going to be effective in the Lord's work of missions. Okay, I want, I want you guys to remember this as a church family. Um, missions is everywhere. You never have to look for an opportunity to be a missionary. They're all around us. They're everywhere. The problem isn't the opportunity for missions isn't everywhere. The, the problem in many ways is, is our, our heart towards missions has been, um, has been defeated. We've become, what I, what we, 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 we become lacking of courage when it comes to this area of missions, when it comes to sharing the gospel with somebody. Uh, most of us can think of things that we would say in our minds, excuse our, our um, selves from being able to share the gospel with somebody. We need to overcome that so that we can be effective missionaries here in, in Hollister, California, where God has planted us. So let, let me read uh, with you, if you'll follow along, in Romans 1, and we're just going to look at six things um, about the Apostle Paul that helped, I believe, that were characteristics that he had that helped him in this realm of being a proper missionary. In verse number one, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, 
You'll notice in verses six and seven, as I just read, it's kind of the, the, the audience to, to whom the Apostle Paul is writing to. Um, I think it can include those who have been called um, in the, in the, from the standpoint of uh, predestined or elected or chosen by God, but yet haven't yet come to faith that this message is going to be for them. And I think as well, it includes those who have come to faith in Christ, but are... Um, but need to grow in their understanding of the gospel. It, it, it's not, there's not a great deal of depth that you need to have to come to faith in Christ. And you, you understand the basics that Christ Jesus is the son of God, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, that he uh, suffered on the cross for the sins of the people that believe on him, that he was buried and then he rose again the third day and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us. The basics of the gospel is what we believe. We don't have to know the depths of it. But but at the same time, the apostle Paul found it valuable after these people's conversions to explain these messages, to explain these truths to them, to help them understand what's happened to them. He says in verse, uh, the end of verse Verse seven, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles." I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, for I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven, from, is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the the righteous or the just shall live by faith. As we go to the beginning of this passage of scripture, Paul Paul begins by describing three characteristics about himself, three things that he identifies about himself as a missionary. And these things are significant in um, determining whether or not we're going to be effective missionaries or Maybe beyond that, whether or not we're going to be faithful missionaries, whether or not we're going to faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all of the world around us, including our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our employers and our employees, to to share the gospel with all of the people that we come into contact with. That's what we're called to do. Again, it doesn't mean to be abrasive about the gospel. It means to share the gospel to communicate the gospel to those who are around us. So let's look at verse number one to begin with. The first thing that Paul identifies himself as is he talks about himself as being a servant. 
He describes himself as a servant. In this, in this situation and in this scenario, the Apostle Paul sees himself as a servant of the ministry of missions. He sees himself as a, a servant to the calling of God in his life. And my, and my first point, if you're taking notes, is missions is not for pleasure, but it is for obedience. Missions is not for pleasure, but it is for obedience. The term that the apostle Paul uses to describe himself in verse number one is the, the word, the Greek word is doulos. It, it carries with it the idea of, of, of slavery. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a term that, that describes the responsibility of somebody to accomplish something because they are subservient to, some, to someone. They have been given a, a calling, a commissioning, and they go as a servant. Some of the servants are willing servants and they stay with their master forever willingly because they determined to. Other of the servants are not willing servants. The emphasis in this text is not whether or not you're a willing service uh, servant or an unwilling servant. The issue is, is that no matter what, you have a calling, you have a master, you have somebody who has been set over you that is your Lord that is commissioning you to do this work. I think for many of us, we see ourselves as Lord over the Lord. So we go to him each day and we ask him to do a whole bunch of things for us, right? Anybody, anybody guilty of that? No, I'm guilty of that. It's like every day, it's like, do these things for me, Lord. And it's like the Lord communicates back to me in my spirit that you're to be doing things for me. I am the Lord and you are my servant, and then I begin to change my prayer life to, Lord, what would you have me to do today? What would you have me to accomplish today? What do you want me to do for you today? Because I am his servant, and I am not his servant by him twisting my arm behind my back. I am not forced to be his servant. I am a willing servant based upon the transformation of Christ and the Holy Spirit in my life. But it doesn't take away the fact that my service to him is something that is required of me. You say, Pastor John, why is this important? It's important because being a missionary is not easy. It's important because being a missionary, communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that wants nothing to do with him, saying the name Jesus Christ to a world that doesn't want anything to do with him is not an easy task. When you're sitting there and you're thinking about making a deal with somebody, you're thinking about doing something that's going to bring you profit and bring you success, and you begin to think about sharing the gospel with that individual, you are immediately brought to the flesh, and you begin to think about, well, what if I say Christ to them? If I speak the name of Jesus, is it going to, is it going to hurt my deal? If I share the gospel, I, I've heard people say, if I share the gospel in a situation or a circumstance, is it going to hurt me in the long run? Listen, we are called, we are, we are servants of the, of the Most High God who has commissioned us to live in this world and to share the gospel with people. It isn't an option for us. If you see the Lord as Lord, right? He says, he says in, the, in the gospels, why do you call me Lord and not do what I've asked you to do, Right? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I've commanded you to do? He's left us here to be missionaries, to be sharing the gospel with people. Again, not in an obnoxious way. It's, it's, it's an overflow, if you will, of all the things that God has done for us. 
Those who have been impacted by the gospel in a significant way don't have to be commanded to be gospelers because they want to be. It's those who have, in their own hearts, been only lightly affected, which really makes no sense at all, right? Is there anybody who has just been lightly affected by the gospel? We've been affected by the gospel. We've been impacted by the gospel. It's those who realize how big the gospel is that makes them want to share it with other people, makes them want to participate in it. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of because necessity has been laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do it willingly, I have a reward. But if it's, but if it's against my will, I have entrust, been entrusted with a stewardship. You've been entrusted. We've been entrusted with a stewardship. We've been entrusted with something that is God's to share it with other people. That's what we've been called to do. And there's nothing more important in, in, in my life, in your life, than sharing the gospel with people. And we can think of a number of reasons why we don't want to share the gospel with people, but ultimately, we must, because we are his hands and his feet and his voice. We are, we are through whom he is making his plea, right? We are through whom he's making his plea. It's not an easy thing, but it is an important thing, a significant thing. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. If, if you want to turn with me, I would encourage you to do so. I'm going to read a few verses in 1 Corinthians 9. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about his life as a missionary, as an evangelist, as somebody who saw himself as a servant of God to share the gospel with people. Here's what he says in verse number 19, for though I am free from all, in other words, the Apostle Paul has all freedom because Christ lives in him. There's, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Even though I am free from all, I make myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order that I might win Jews. To those under the law I became as, as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside of the law I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means, I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. You, you see anything in this context that describes ease. This is a context of difficulty. It's a context of hardship. It's, it's Paul entering into a lot of situations and scenarios that go against his very makeup, his very character, his very personality, right? Right? He says, when I enter into that situation, I become that so that I can win those people to Christ. It's not about making them. We, we often enter into evangelistic moments or missions moments and we try to make them like us. The apostle Paul says the opposite. He became like them so that he might win them to Christ. This is what we are, this is what we have been commissioned to do. This is what we are uh, uh, called to do. We're, we're, we're servants to do. So Paul, first of all, sees himself as a slave, not as something that he's doing for comfort's sake, but something that he's doing for obedience's sake. 
And truly, my friends, there's really nothing more enjoyable than sharing the gospel with people. But it does come with difficulty. Number two, you'll notice secondly in this first verse, he's not only a servant of Christ Jesus, but he is called to be an apostle. And the word called here is the Greek word kletos. It simply means to be appointed. He has been appointed to be an apostle. He has been, he has been uh, made an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He has been placed in that position. If you think about it from a military perspective, somebody who is of higher authority gives you a promotion and you take on a different level of authority. You take on a, a different title. This, the idea of this is the apostle Paul has been given the authority from a higher authority to be an apostle, to be a missionary of Jesus Christ. It's something that we're appointed to doing. That is what our calling is in life. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, using the same term, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called, those who are commissioned, those who are set apart, those who have been stationed by God to do his purposes. All things work together for those who are loving God, for those who are doing his purposes in their life. We are appointed. He uses the same term in verse six and verse number seven when he says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called. So the apostle Paul says in these two verses, I'm not just talking about me and the apostles. This commission is to all believers. He says, I am talking to those who have been called to be saints, that you would be an evangelist or a missionary, that you would be speaking forth the truth. You have been chosen, you have been set apart to accomplish this work. God has appointed you to it. He has placed you in it. He has left you for it. We are slaves, our servants to the gospel. We are called, we are appointed, we are set apart to the gospel. And the last thing in verse number one is the fact that we are, we are um, uh, stationed in the gospel. The word set apart here means stationed. It carries with it the idea of boundaries being set in our lives. And we all have certain boundaries, right? We have certain uh, realms that we live in, right? We have certain places that we function. We have certain groups of people that we hang around with. The apostle Paul says that he had been set apart by the Lord for the gospel. He had been, he had, he had been uh, fenced in, if you will, right? He had been fenced in, and the fencing that he had been fenced in with is the gospel, in other words, it doesn't mean that the Apostle Paul didn't do a lot of other things, right? He was a tent maker. He did some other things as well. But, but his fencing was what? His, his purpose, his motivation, his drive was what? It was the gospel. It was being a missionary. It was being an evangelist. That's what fenced him in. All these other things were extracurricular things for him to enable him to do what? To be fenced into the gospel. And he didn't fence himself into the gospel. The Lord fenced him into the gospel. How many of us are fenced into the gospel? 
We see all of these other things going on around us. Yes, they're extracurricular things. We have jobs, we have friends, we have family, we have all these things, but are they centered around the fact that I am fenced into the gospel? It is central to every aspect of my life. I think this is a challenge that we have to ask ourselves when it comes to missions work. Because there are going to be times that you're going to lose things. You're going to to, uh, forfeit things because you're living within that fenced-in area, that fenced-in category. There are political sacrifices that we make because we're fenced in, right? We're fenced in. There's some political things out here that we would love to take a position on and we would love to speak for and we would love to hold on to and the Lord says, don't go out there if you're gonna sacrifice what's in here. Gospel, gospel, gospel. This is central to everything that we do. It is, this is what God has commissioned us to. It's what he has called us to, made us servants to what he has stationed us and appointed us to and it's what's he, what he has fenced us into is the gospel. This is why the apostle, this is why Spurgeon said you're either a missionary or you're an imposter because being a believer is being fenced into the gospel. Missions is, this is the third point. Missions is not by choice but by appointment. Missions is not by choice, or missions is, that was the second point. This point is, missions is not by accident, but it is by divine appointment. You'll, you'll notice in the Apostle Paul's writings in the book of Acts, he often refers to himself as being placed here and placed here, and the Holy Spirit led him here. He says it here in Romans, I really wanted to come to you, but I couldn't, right? He's saying that the Lord had other plans for him in other places, The Lord has a plan for you right where you're at. Missionary, evangelist, gospeler. I think sometimes we lose sight of that in a lot of our churches and it ends up hurting us when we lose sight of the centrality of the gospel. We start thinking about all of the other things that are going on or not going on when God has called every last one of us. And listen to me, none of you, none of us if we give ourselves to the gospel message as much as we ought to, we'll ever run out of things to do in the church. Never. The gospel is so significant and it is so central. If we don't remind ourselves of that, if we don't focus in on that, we'll get caught up in all of the external things and ultimately what happens is The fencing of the gospel goes like this. Your influence of the gospel goes like this and this. All of these other things become really big, but the gospel becomes really tiny. Why? Because you're forcing it by focusing on all of these other things. Focus on the gospel and let it grow, and then all those other things. Our our lives are only a certain size, right? So you can either focus on all of the extracurricular things and let the gospel be small, or you can focus on the gospel and let the extracurricular things be small. Number three, number four. He says in verse, um, he says in verse number four, and was declared, let, let me just read verse number Three, concerning the Son of God who is descended from David according to the flesh 
and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name of his name among the nations. Number four, missions is not for self-fame but for Christ's fame. If you're looking to make a name for yourself, you will not succeed at missions. You must be focused on making a name for Christ. You must be focused on spreading his glory. You must be focused on shedding, sharing his greatness, his significance, because he alone is the one that truly matters. John the Baptist understood this when he says, he must increase and, and I must decrease. And he really was connecting those two things together, saying that one is the product of the other. Either Christ is increasing and you are decreasing, or you are increasing and Christ is decreasing. We must know that our purpose in life is to make the Lord famous, to make him significant in all of the world. May our, may our workplace be a place that sees Christ as famous. May our schools become a place that see Christ as famous. Charles Spurgeon said, if there, be any, if there be any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at a white heat, it is concerning missions. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. Charles Spurgeon said this, if people are going to hell, let them go to hell over my pleading for them to repent. And I paraphrase what he said. Let them go to hell over me holding onto their legs is the picture of it and preventing them at the most that he could from going there. This is what we're called to. It is to make him famous. Listen, look at, the, look at the phrases here quickly. He says, concerning his son, who is a descendant from David according to the flesh. When you see the phrase ascendant from David according to the flesh, what is, what is the apostle referencing? He's referencing the, the, the royalty of Christ. He's referencing the fact that we're dealing with the king of kings and lord of lords. Making the king of kings and lord of lords famous should not be difficult. It should be burning inside of us to know that he is the king of kings and lord of lords, to accept and acknowledge him for who he really is. We're not making him that. We're just acknowledging him for that. It's, it's amazing sometimes how easy it is to talk about Michael Jordan or, or Kobe Bryant or whatever sports athlete that, you're, that you are involved in or you love. But listen, Jesus is a hundredfold better than that. But yet we have to like force ourselves to say his name in a conversation that we would have no problem saying Michael Jordan's name. There's something, listen, there's something wrong with that, folks. This is what we've been commissioned to. This is what we've been left here to do. And there are people all over the world. There are people all over our community, all over our neighborhoods, all over Hollister, California that are eternal souls. And that Jesus Christ needs to say, they need to be saved. They need to be converted to Christ Jesus. And they will not be converted without the preaching of the gospel. God not only orchin, orchin, orchestrates, wow. 
God not only orchestrates the end, but he orchestrates the means. He saves people through the gospel. So when you preach the gospel to somebody, you're not going to save them. He might save them, but it won't happen without the gospel. The gospel is necessary. So you're just going as a vessel. Hey, I just want to share with you what Jesus has done for me. And I'm hoping that he does the same thing for you. You don't control that, but you do control the message. He is eternal king. Revelation 19, just read it in your own time. It just describes him in his glory. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He's better than any king and better than any lord. That's what he says when he says he's the son of David. David was this long-awaited king, and Jesus Christ is the more significant long-awaited king. Amen? But not only that, he says, he was descended from David according to the flesh, and he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness through the resurrection from the dead. He's not only the king of kings, but he is the resurrected Lord. John 10 says he resurrected by his own power. Here is a a mighty person, powerful beyond measure, that he could raise himself up from the dead. We watched a movie yesterday uh, about a boy who was in the water. He drowned in the water. He was in the water for 15 minutes, and then he was brought out, and for over an hour, he did not have a heartbeat And his mother began to pray for him. You've probably heard the story. And the Lord brought him back to life. What a huge miracle, right? The Lord brought himself back to life. Get a hold of that. Man, when we embrace who Jesus is, when we embrace what Jesus has done, and we embrace what he's capable of doing, it becomes a lot easier to share him with other people, even when they don't want it to be shared with them. Listen, there's no one that is lost that wants to hear the gospel, but nor is there anyone who's lost that doesn't need to hear the gospel. It's a part of this problem. The lost don't want to hear the message that they need to hear. And, the, and, and unfortunately, Christians have become so, they've lost their courage that they are not willing to share it. We have to see what we're called to do and see who we're dealing with. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we, first of all, in regards to making him famous because he's worthy, he's worthy because of his person, he's worthy because of his grace. The next phrase says, to whom we have received grace. And and grace is just simply salvation. The Lord has has bestowed upon us a unmerited favor, right? For by grace you are saved through faith. How many of you are recipients this morning of unmerited favor? You did nothing to receive it. Listen, why would we not tell everybody about that? You say, well, they're not good. They're not what? They're not good enough? Then you see yourself as being good enough? It's unmerited favor. You have received something that you totally did not deserve. God stepped into your world and transformed it, right? Is there anybody that he can't do that for? Is there anybody that he will do that for without using the gospel to get it done? Why aren't we going? Why aren't we preaching? Why aren't we teaching? His grace is a reason for our making him famous. He not only says his grace, but he says his apostleship, which is his calling 
his commissioning of us to do what he had called us to do. Look at this, Look, let's go on. He says, although we have received grace and apostleship, um, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, in other words, he is the, um, l- let, me, let me say it this way, he is the, not the portal, he is the essence of grace and apostleship. In, in other words, when you receive Christ, you receive grace and apostleship. Everything that we need for life is, is encaptured in the person of Christ. He's not just a means by which we get things. He is the, the thing that we get. He is who we get. When we have him, we have everything necessary for life and for godliness. Now watch this. I don't want you to miss this. He says, um, he says back in verse number five, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name among all the nations. Now, now notice this. He doesn't say to bring about conversions, does he? He doesn't say to make converts for Jesus, does he? He says to bring about what? Obedience. To bring about the obedience of faith. Listen, making a convert brings no glory to anyone except you. Making a follower of Jesus Christ brings glory to God. Our calling is not to make a convert. It's to make somebody whose life has been transformed by Jesus. And when people see that life that has been transformed by Jesus, they will praise the one who transformed that life. Our job is not just to make a convert, it's to make a disciple of Jesus. Go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus so that their life and their transformation, I I think of what the Bible says at the end of Galatians chapter number one, the apostle Paul has experienced this extraordinary transformation and here's what the Bible says, it's an amazing verse. It says this, that because of me, they glorified the Lord. It's so powerful. Because of the apostle Paul, they glorify God. And that is the transformation that we're looking for, not just a a profession of Christ, but we're wanting to make disciples who live out Christ, who are not afraid to tell who they used to be and who they have become, because that's the greatest glory to our God. We need to be those who are disciple makers We do that by being passionate about people. He talks about in the next verses that he prayed all the time for these people. I mean, wrap your mind around that for a moment. Is there anybody in your life that you pray for all the time that God might save them? That's what he says here. Paul didn't have a passion for Paul. Paul had a passion for people. That was the essence of Paul's life. That's what we have to do in order to be true disciplers. It's never about the discipler, it's about the disciplee. He says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 12, he says, so death is working in us so that life may work in you. You talk about a sacrificial man, a a gospel man, this is a gospel man. This is a missionary that death is working in me. In other words, sacrifice is working in me, but life is working in you. 
I hear story after story of missionaries who go to the mission field and they experience horrible tortures and horrible torments and family members give their lives for the Lord. And we read those stories and we think that's amazing faith. It is amazing faith, but that is the life of a Christian. We make disciples by being disciples and we make disciples by preaching the gospel. The fifth thing, I'm gonna run through this last two very quickly. Missions is not about reward. Remember this, missions is not about reward, it's about indebtedness. Missions is not about reward, it's about indebtedness. He goes on to describe here, I'm indebted to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Why is Paul indebted to the Jews and the Gentiles? Here's why. Because he has been given something that he did not deserve. And he had been given it in such a way that it was free and unmerited that his job was to share it with other people. It's almost like a lifeguard. If a lifeguard is sitting on the side of a pool, right, but they're not on duty that day and somebody is drowning in the pool, do they save that person because they want to or because they are indebted to? There's something that they have that makes them owe the person who is drowning something. Listen to me, folks. There is something that you have and there's something that I have that nobody has, I have not earned, I have not deserved, I have not worked for, and every man in the universe needs it, or they will die and spend eternal, eternal condemnation in a place called hell. And may we look at people with a different eyesight. I am not indebted to you to make you successful, I am indebted to you to give you the gospel. This is missions. This is what we're called to do. Missions is not about reward, it's about indebtedness. Lastly, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. Lastly, missions is not for the embarrassed, but it is for the unashamed. God, help us to never be embarrassed by your gospel. Help us to never be embarrassed by your son. Help us to feel a boldness and a confidence to share the wonderful news, the good news. The Bible says that how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Help us to embrace the good news of Christ in the gospel and to never be ashamed of it. Listen to me, the apostle Paul doesn't say this because he was trying to elevate himself. What he was saying simply is this. There are people who call themselves Christians who are ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, I am not one of them. I am not ashamed. I am not embarrassed of Christ. I am not embarrassed of his gospel. I am not embarrassed of his name. I am not embarrassed that I received a free gift from him that I did nothing to deserve or earn. And I am not embarrassed to share that with other people. The Bible tells us in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Charles Spurgeon said, the great question is not, will not the heathen be saved if we do not send them the gospel? But... 
are we saved ourselves if we do not send them the gospel? I want to close with these two brief stories to bring it home. A missionary in Africa was once asked, once asked if he really liked what he was doing. A missionary in Africa was asked the question if he really liked what he was doing. His response was shocking. Do I like this work, he said? No. My wife and I do not like dirt. We are reasonably refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat refuse. But is a man to do nothing for Christ he does not like? God pity him, if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go, and we go. Love constrains us. And then I close with this. A one-legged school teacher from Scotland once came to J. Hudson Taylor to offer himself for service in China. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. A one-legged man comes to him to offer himself for missions in China. With only one leg, Dr. Hudson said, why do you think of going as a missionary? His response is this, and may it penetrate our hearts. I do not see those with two legs going. We have so much, folks, that God has given us. May we not neglect the call to local missions, to our neighbors, to our families, to our friends, to our coworkers that are eternal souls, to the lady that's across the counter from us that's checking us into a hotel room. May we see them as eternal souls. And may we not neglect the call of God to go into all the world to pray for them, to supply funds for them, and maybe Lord calls you to go. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for allowing us the privilege to do this work. Help us, Lord God, to be bold people, set apart and devoted to doing your work, to glorifying your name in the world around us and to sharing with others how amazing you are. It shouldn't be difficult, Lord, but yet it is. We acknowledge that and we pray that you would help us to have the strength to do what is right. Pray your blessing upon the remainder of this service, the things that are going on today and, and this week. Lord, may it all be glorifying to you in Christ's name. Amen.